Welcome to The Local Authority, the podcast by Local Government Chronicle and TPX Impact. Each month, we bring together leading figures from within and around local government to discuss the sector's future. If you enjoy listening to The Local Authority, hit the subscribe button to have new episodes delivered to your device each month. You can share this podcast with your colleagues by going to lgcplus.com forward slash podcast. Welcome to the Local Authority. This is a podcast from Local Government Chronicle and TPX Impact, formerly FutureGov. I'm Nick Golding, the LGC editor. Each month, we're bringing together some of the biggest names in and around local government to discuss some of the biggest issues facing local government. The theme of the Local Authority is one of change, how councils can change their area and themselves for the better. And today, we're discussing devolution. The question we'll be asking is, can councils seize initiative following the levelling up white paper? Michael Gove's flagship document promises to empower local leaders and local communities. Nine areas have entered talks on county deals and every area that wants a Devo deal is promised one by 2030. However, actions speak louder than words. The pandemic response was top down with information and power hoarded by the centre. The number of civil servants has grown, while councils, struggling after a decade of austerity, have a lower workforce with fewer resources. And the local government finance system is becoming even more centralised, with councils saying they have too few resources to maintain existing services. We have a great panel today. On it is Amanda Hopgood, the leader of Durham County Council. Tony Travers, the Director of LSE London, and Mike Deering, Managing Director International at TPX Impact. So Amanda, I'm going to turn to you first. Durham is named as one of the nine county deal areas. Have negotiations begun yet? No. <laughs> um, we had a meeting put in the diary um, with the civil uh, with um, ministers, but that was cancelled at short notice and there has so far been one meeting with with the officers and the civil servants, but we've still to start the political discussions. So there's been previous talk of Durham being part of a broader northeast combined authority. Is 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 that out of the question now? And is Durham going to go forward on a single county footprint? We believe that the, the best option for us at this stage is to look at the single county footprint. Um, County Durham sits geographically between the Teesside Combined Authority and between what will be the Greater North East um, Combined Authority. So we already have a north of Tyne, which covers Northumberland, Newcastle and North Tyneside. And then you've got Gateshead, Sunderland and South Tyneside and County Durham, who form part of the North East Combined Authority, but don't have an elected mayor or, or anything. And we do have a joint transport committee that's in place amongst the seven local authorities. But Durham is predominantly a rural county. We have very different needs and demands to the the areas that sit just above us, the Newcastles, Gateshead, Sunderland, much more metropolitan um, boroughs that have a totally different electoral system to us. We are a single unitary council with over half a million people, residents. 
So we fit the criteria and we believe we're big enough to be able to to set our own targets and, and challenges and, and meet them. So one of the big questions that many areas are grappling with is whether to have an elected mayor. So in Durham, what's your, what's your thoughts on that? Would an elected mayor be good for, for Durham? No, because I don't see what it will bring. We have we have all-out elections every four years. We have a cabinet and leader model, and it's a unitary authority. I totally understand the need for an elected mayor if you're sitting above two, three, four or more local authorities. But I've yet for anyone to convince what an elected mayor would bring to a leader and cabinet mem- a leader and cabinet system of a single unitary authority other than another level of bureaucracy and another set of expenses. And and we believe that instead of going through that, instead of going through all of um, the legislation required to get to that stage, we can actually start delivering straight away if we're given the powers to do that under the governance that we've got. So you don't think your population would welcome an elected mayor, even if as one of the government's conditions uh, as part of this process, you would actually get more powers if you adopted that? Well, I don't believe that... If we truly believe in levelling up, it shouldn't come with catches and it shouldn't come with strings attached. And it should... The whole point of levelling up is so that the local areas can decide what's best for them. And we take that power away from one size. And it's clear that one size doesn't fit all. That's why this is happening in the first place. And we have a leader, we have one point of contact for the civil servants, which is is what they require. Um, And I think if if we're genuine about wanting to make a difference to areas, then we need to look at all options and not sort of be obsessive with this elected leader model. So, so the really juicy part of the debate is what powers do you want? What powers can make the greatest difference to your local population? What's the answer yeah. to that in Durham? In Durham, we, we need to look at um, what we some powers over the skills, the education, all, all of the things that are in that white paper over job creation. But the important thing is that we also need to make sure the money is coming with that as well. Because County Durham, we were told when Brexit happened, we were a net benefactor because of it's such an area of deprivation from European funding. And we were told that the Shared Prosperity Fund, we would make that money, we would get that money back from the Shared Prosperity Fund. But now all of a sudden that seems to be getting tied up with devolution and you can only have that if you do this. And that isn't what was said months ago around Brexit. We, we're set to lose hundreds of thousands of pounds, if not millions, from the money that we're losing from European funding for business, for education, for getting people out of um, who are not in employment and training and getting them into work. I had last week, I had Henry Murison up, who is the chief executive of the Northern Powerhouse, to visit some of the projects within County Durham that have benefited from that funding. We've had 8,750 young people go through a project of getting back into work that has been reliant and funded through European funding. And so to lose that, it would be dreadful. So beyond the question of purely of funding, 
what powers could you actually get and what, what, what decisions could you make locally that would really benefit your local economy? Right. So in terms of ha- housing decisions, so to make sure that we're doing something around, for us, social housing is a, a, a big impact in our area. To look at things like the green agenda, to make sure that we can do that. There's bringing in um, the powers to look at ed- for education and for training and to devolve those powers. Business, we've got business opportunities and there's also the huge element of transport which is massive here and i appreciate everyone wants a london-based transport system but that won't work in county durham when 60 to 70 percent of the area is rural you don't need to have a bus running every five minutes but you do need to have one every hour and at least every day which some areas don't and that's very important as well so the government was making out that the levelling up white paper would represent something of a sea change in where power sits in this country. What what would that sea change look like in Durham? The sea change, what we would have um, an advisory board who would work with the local authority and with the, the leader and cabinet. And that would involve partners from business. We already have a mechanism in place called Business Durham, which the, the local authority um, are responsible for, but that brings in um, private sector partners, businesses. So I was out yesterday visiting a new business who is leading the way in green energy in the replacement for solar panels with a solar film. Um, so we've got those opportunities here. And by working with private partners and part of that board would also be our six local MPs, we believe that we have that local knowledge and skills and working with our higher education partners as well. I mean, we've got a world-class university sat here, as, as you said before, in Durham University, and to work with those partners that we can develop an area. And, and our ambition for County Durham is that if people wish to move away, that's great, but they shouldn't have to move away. We want to have those skills and opportunities for people who want to live in Durham, that the jobs are here, that the future for them is here, and they can lead a full filling career within the county without the need to have to move. I've, I've got a final question for you at this stage. From LGC's audience is desperate for devolution to succeed, but do you, do you feel that there is a clamour in your local population to actually have devolution, or is that just something that, councils aspire to? I I don't think, from the local population, I doubt very much there is a clamour to have another level of bureaucracy. But for their local areas to have some control over what's doing, I believe that the population and our residents would want that. They want to have a say on the future, but not necessarily to have another level of bureaucracy. And when you think about some of these mayoral authorities, some of them have up to 700 staff. (laughs) And I just think, wow, that money that could be spent, certainly in an area like ours, could go straight to service delivery and to those residents, as opposed to um, paying for another set of bureaucracy. Well, thank you, Amanda. I'm going to bring Tony Travers in now. Uh, Tony, nice, easy question to start off with. Are we on the precipice of a 
a new era of radical devolution? No. Um, what's intriguing to me about the white paper, I mean, there are two things. The, the best thing you can say about it, and great credit to Michael Gove, is he managed actually to get it published. The government finds it very hard to uh, deliver on many of the things it said it wants to do, and certainly to get through to publishing a fully worked through policy. And, and Michael Gove, who knows how to run a department and chair meetings, has managed to do that. But the truth is, even he hasn't been able, a uh, very powerful person in government, the only person in this cabinet who was in the cabinet in 2010, though he's not an unbroken record, and even he wasn't able to deliver the kind of devolution which would be seen as the norm in any of the countries with which Britain would normally compare itself. So Britain, uh, France or Germany or Sweden, I mean, name your country, a broad, similar, broadly similar country. So what would fundamentally change the power balance in this country? What would take us up to the level of those countries you just mentioned? Well, it would require uh, a mindset change within Whitehall. I mean, if you look at the white paper, there's loads of different funding pots which councils can bid for. And that means that in the end, civil servants, good people, but end up having to make choices about what Durham needs or what Derbyshire needs, name your area of the country, in, as if somehow the people who live there and are directly elected to represent there couldn't make those decisions themselves. So that process is very top down. There's no capacity for councils to use their own income sources particularly freely. So you know, no mention of any sort of tax devolution. And so I think that most most counties similar to Durham around the world or areas areas of government, remember Durham's a huge municipality by international standards, uh, would have significantly more service powers and significantly more capacity to raise their own resources. And that is where we differ profoundly. But the government is saying this, it's increasing funding for councils. Is this not something that gives councils a bit more leeway to decide what they want to do in their local area to meet their local population's needs? Well, it's true, of course, councils, I mean, the last couple of years, two or three years, funding settlements have been faintly more generous than the ones that went before. I'm not sure there is exactly money gulching out of the pipes. Um, and beyond that, I think that councils... They, they have the freedom to set their own budgets, you know, they, they can do that. But what they don't have is the freedom to decide what that total is, because in effect, the government sets the total amount each council can spend each year by giving them grants if they get grants, capping council tax, a contribution to business rate. And so apart from varying reserves, councils are told exactly what to spend. That's not proper local democracy. Now, the government wants mayors, as previously stated, they see them as a means of offering very accountable local leadership. What's the evidence that mayors work? I think mayors have worked, uh, partly because they, the evidence is that, uh, particularly at the city regional level, and, I, and by the way, I'm not saying this is a panacea for everywhere, and I absolutely under, understand Amanda's point. Uh, not everywhere needs another uh, public official or level of government. But I think what they have done is been able to represent 
a kind of voice and a lobbying. I mean, it's, it's a kind of lobbying role in the centralized system that we're describing here. You know, people like Ben Houchen and Tees Valley or Andy Burnham or Andy Street in the West Midlands, Andy Burnham in Greater Manchester, Steve Rosam in the Liverpool city region, they're very articulate lobbyists for their areas, but they don't have much control over their own income. And that is a very unusual situation to be in as a politician. So, uh, and, and so, you know, it's not to be underestimated, this capacity to articulate what the city region or area needs, and then to press government to give you the resources to do it. But in the end, that is like going to Versailles if you're a noble person in uh, France, you know, in the, in the um, well, in the distant past. Let's not go into too much detail here. And, you know, getting the government to give you the favours and the money in order to deliver in your area. That's not government. That's not local or devolved government. That is a form of centralism which allows some decentralised uh, capacity, but it's it's a long way from de devolution. So at the heart of the levelling up white paper were these 12 missions which had set, set specific targets, for instance, to uh, make pay rates a bit more equal across the country and to improve transport connectivity. Um, are these top-down targets compatible with devolution? Well, I can see why, you know, missions as you know they're not quite targets i'm sure the government would say they weren't really targets in the old-fashioned sense of the word but having some sense of what what the government's trying to do in the expenditure of national taxpayers money and you know it, it, with the limited devolution they are allowing i think it's a perfectly reasonable thing um to want to do it is, and you know most of them are not things which leaders would really be against. I mean, you know, having more equal life expectancy is not an unreasonable thing. But, you know, actually, with everybody getting, you know, living longer and having a better quality of life, this is an inherently sensible idea and not a bad way of measuring it, actually. So I think providing they don't become sort of real targets, which force councils to decide how they use their own money, I think having some sense of what the government is seeking to deliver and how they measure it is essential. Otherwise, it would be a policy without any outcomes to measure. Now, there was no, or at least very little, new money announced with regards to the levelling up white paper. Um, does this undermine the whole project? Well, I, I, it doesn't help, does it? Uh, I mean, the Treasury clearly said this much and no more. And they're not giving any local uh, tax raising powers or anything of that kind. So, you know, Michael Gove and the Department for Leveling Up Housing and Communities, you know, has that much money to go, go at. And actually, if you look at all the little funds, the little pots of cash, I mean, Amanda's already mentioned the question of whether for areas that got a substantial amount of EU resource, they're going to get anything like that in future. And as I said earlier on, the little pots are all, you know, they all have to be decided by Whitehall and then there are conditions attached to them. And they can only be spent in a particular way. And it's quite expensive to bid for them, by the way. I mean, it requires officer and member time to do the bidding. So uh, as, that's what as I mentioned, you know, poor old Louis XIV, who I use over much in this regard. So it's very much a kind of convincing government that the taxpayers of, you know, Durham, who paid most of this money in taxes, by the way, get their own money back to spend locally. And I just think that 
I think most people in government know this. It's just they can't find a way of getting the Treasury or indeed Whitehall as a whole to, to, to let go. You used the word hoarding yourself earlier. They hoard power. You know, they can't help it. You've got power. Why would you give it away to people? Many of whom are, by the way, are your political opponents. <laughs> so final question to you at the stage, Tony. I mean, what, what does a, if, if finance underpins everything, um, what does a, what does a sensible devolved council finance system look like? Well, I mean, uh, uh, there needs to be a reform of the local government finance system. It's antiquated, often unfair, you know, go on making criticism. And I think, again, most people in government know this, they just don't touch it. Um, so I think that if you look at the, the, the broader issues raised by devolution, um, it's, you know, everybody's on, it's worth saying this, I don't think there's a political party in Britain not in favour of levelling up. It's an unusual policy. It's a complete consensus. Conservative government's pushing it through. Labour doesn't oppose it. Why would they? Lib Dems are on side. Everybody's on side. It's just very difficult to do. And it's very difficult to do because the centre of Britain is in some ways so powerful and has so much, has so many powers, it doesn't quite know how to use them and it do not give them away just in case it doesn't work out. It's worth adding because I thought of this when, when you were talking to Amanda earlier on, about whether people locally in Durham really want change. What people locally do know is they prefer councillors to ministers making decisions. The polling is absolutely clear on this. And as I always say, it's a cheap line. You know, councillors are more popular than MPs collectively. That's not a very high bar, but they are. And people would like decisions made by people who they've a greater chance of meeting. And I'm not being disparaging about MPs and ministers. I think everybody's trying to do their best in all parties. But the chances of meeting your local council leader are just that much greater and having an access to them when they make decisions and hearing what you think than people who have to go to Westminster for half the week. And so against that backdrop, I think trust in government, massively an issue today, these days, will be strengthened by more decisions being made at a devolved level than if they are continue to be made so in such a centralised way. And it doesn't matter whether it's in London, it could be in Warrington, it could be anywhere. Centralisation is not good for trust in government and not good for levelling up. Um, Mike Deering of TPX Impacts, I'm going to turn to you now. Now, a lot of devolution in recent years has been to combined authorities um, groups of councils together, which are, which are, which are combined. Um, you've worked with quite a few of them. How, how have you observed how, how easy they are, are they to work with? I think one of the, you know, one of the key challenges around all of these aspects is, is often they're very much driven by personalities um, and individuals often taking forward these initiatives and, and frankly, you know, government and, and all these sort of agendas, they are, they are pushed in that way. So when you look at um, things where we have seen you know, devolution to yeah, combined authorities or, or shared arrangements, um, they're often very much passion projects for you know, one or a small number of individuals. Um, and when those individuals then change, um, then, you know, clearly that then creates some tension within the system. Um, so looking at, you know, some of the work that we've done in the past across some of the uh, combined authorities uh, in the UK, you, know, you do see tensions within the member authorities. Um, and there's always a lot of um, argy-bargy, frankly, around who is going to, um, who is going to come out on top. So I think then when you come to 
you know, an agenda where you're starting to push for greater devolution. And, you know, going back to the kind of arguments around do you have a mayor or not, um, you know, then you do end up in this sort of um, personal dynamic that I think is a really important one to, to manage. Um, and something that if you don't recognise it, then, you know, it, things can, can fall, fall apart quite quickly. Do you think there are any principles that underpin um, how well they work and how, how they can be effective as organisations? Well, I suppose, you know, o- openness and honesty around what they're trying to achieve is probably the ultimate one. Um, and, and the number of times we've seen uh, different different kind of arrangements go in place where there is a, you know, there is a, a kind of a policy statement about the rationale behind it. Um, but actually what it then ends up achieving um, is, uh, is is very different. And, and, you know, often this comes down to money. You know, is it new money or not? Is it money with strings? Where's that money coming from? Um, and who's driving the agenda? Um, so in the case of, uh, of devolution, you know, one of the things, you know, when we talk about county deals, it very much puts county councils um, in, in those areas at the, um, you know, in the driving seat. Um, and so if there are, you know, two-tier arrangements in place, um, then clearly, you know, you're automatically starting to, to set, um, you know, set up this kind of situation where um, some of that honesty, openness and transparency might get masked by um, what perhaps someone's uh, specific agenda might be. So in addition to your work with councils, you've also worked quite frequently with NHS bodies. I was just wondering what your thoughts are in terms of successful partnerships between councils and NHS bodies. And I say it's because if Greater Manchester is perhaps the greatest exemplar of devolution, they, they have the um, health is very much a part of that, uh, of the work they're doing together there. <laughs> One of the challenges, I think, with the NHS generally is that the system changes so frequently that keeping up with what the governance arrangements are uh, and particularly what the partnership arrangements are at a local level is incredibly difficult. Uh, you, know, you, you know, you don't have to go very far back to look at a whole range of different um, local arrangements that have been um, changed over the past few years. Um, with governance. And so it, it does come down to trying to have something that's fixed. So one of the key challenges, I think, for local authorities often when working with the NHS is is really understanding who the NHS organisation is or body that they're working with and who's their kind of partner in that area. Um, because then you, you you suddenly get a, a change and then you, you lose the kind of key contact points in your relationships to be able to move it forwards. Um, you know, one of the big, I suppose, you know, shifts has been obviously to try and move to a to scaled organizations and system working um, and you could you know you can i think demonstrate through um through through some of the experience that we've seen in the nhs that working at scale um you know can be achieved you know on a a, a bit more of a kind of uh, i guess informal arrangement rather than having to enforce potentially um yeah some sort of change in policy like mayors or something to that effect so in combined authorities and within any devolved arrangements, there's often ish, there are often very many practical barriers to, organize, to, to integration. Uh, is, is that something which you think could impede devolution? I think it, I think it can add cost to devolution. So, um, you know, Amanda mentioned the, you know, potential bureaucracy that can come with these uh, changed arrangements. And, and clearly, you know, whenever you uh, start to create new partnerships or um, devolution models, then all of a sudden a whole raft of different boards and 
um, oversight bodies start to come into play, um, and those all add cost. Um, it, equally, you know, one of the key bits around this is how quickly can you get the money spent? You know, you know, trying to get the money closer to where it needs to be um, needs to be to be able to have real impact at a local level. Um, and so, you need to really try and make that as streamlined as possible. Um, but the 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 reporting arrangements that often come in um, and the governance models that can come in can often then really tie up that um, tie up those areas so they can't actually get the money down to um, to those communities where they where they ultimately want to try and get it to um, you know if you just increased um, a local authority's uh, block funding or you know they they were able to raise additional funding directly clearly they they've already got systems to be able to 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 translate that through into into action on the ground um, as soon as you start bringing new um, new new strings, new arrangements, new reporting frameworks, then you know it, it starts to slow it up. So you you work with many councils around the country. It's obviously well, certainly for the past decade of austerity, but even before then, councils have been shorn of many responsibilities and and powers, and the finance hasn't been great. So I mean, do you think councils are in a great place at the moment to take on more responsibility? <laughs> I'm sure they would say they would like more money for additional responsibilities and more freedoms. Um, are they resilient? You know, we can see there are, you know, it is a different, it's a different situation in different areas. Uh, clearly, you know, there's been a, a, some areas have been looking to pursue um, the unitary agenda um, in a number of areas and that's, that's kind of moved uh, moved on now. Um, but, you know, part of that was around them looking to try and create the scale that they potentially needed um, to, to, to be a bit more resilient and be able to weather the storms. There are a number of, you know, a number of councils around the country who clearly are really struggling in terms of their own resilience. Um, and so if they are able to um, gain some additional funding um, and potentially some additional responsibilities that they can look to optimise, then clearly that gives them some strengths to be able to to improve that their, their delivery models, etc. Um, you know, every local authority client that that I you know speak to and work with, you know, they are all incredibly stretched and under a huge amount of pressure to deliver their current day jobs um, and and deliver their current agenda. So it would be you know as ever additional funds need to come with additional resources to be able to to you can't just expect them to do more for nothing but what what support could those resource, resources buy i mean what, what do you do you, do you see councils as sort of lacking in certain skills to seize seize the moment um i mean i ultimately the, you know one of the areas that i think a, a lot of people are you know those sort of s skills to be able to to actually build partnerships and networks in in local areas um, to be able to kind of actually get um, you know get more action on the ground but all councils have got different challenges you know um, there I, I wouldn't say there's a kind of specific one size fits all excellent and I, I just want to get a sense of what councils need from governments and I'm going to ask a similar question to to all of you so how can the governments help councils along this path in a sort of trustworthy manner and I mean, I suppose one of the things would be trying to demystify and 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 make these uh, these um, make these models of getting different ways of working, seeking devolution. You know, whatever the model is, 
open it up a bit and make it a bit less black box because you know the way that these sort of deals have to be negotiated often in you know in dark rooms and in private doesn't doesn't allow other authorities to then learn from them and see how their deal could work and what they could do with it so um you do kind of often see you know different authorities and different groups of councils having to try and almost second guess what might be acceptable to uh, to Whitehall rather than actually focusing in on, okay, we know what the sort of deal might look like and this is how we could make it work. Amanda, I wanted to ask a similar question to you. You're you're a Liberal Democrat council leader. Um, It's a coalition that you've got there in Durham, but are you finding the government a trustworthy partner? That's a good question. I I think what we need to do is have a bit more openness and honesty about what it is we're trying to deliver and one of the the key things that i think we have a problem in tony picked up on this before is about this competitive nature so applying for funding we've just approved our budget this year we have five constituencies within our council area and to apply we've submitted one leveling up bid which we did last year and were successful with that with the 20 million pound To do another five, we've had to put a significant amount of resource in there, look to appoint new head of service because everything comes with matched funding. And it's like a vanity project for government and and you're pitching everyone against each other. And and if I can just pick up, if that's all right, on this obsession almost for elected mayors, the elected mayor role is always in its current format going to be extremely successful because they're given money to deliver projects. Everybody is happy to deliver projects if you don't have the responsibility of things like the adult social care and looked after children and everything else that goes with it. And um, Tony mentioned Ben Houghton, everything, and I'm not saying that he hasn't done a great job, but you put somebody in place who has given a big pot of money to deliver things that people want of course it's going to be successful and everyone's going to love it because they're getting investment, they're getting nice things. Somebody I spoke to a few months ago referred to them as Christmas mares and I thought that was a really good catchphrase in terms of what they deliver. Um, so I, I think what we would go back to, and this is what I've said all the way along, if we truly want to have some form of devolution, some form of levelling up, we've got to stop doing it from the top down and we've got to listen to what people want in those areas and what works best for them. The area that I represent, 60 to 70% of our houses in County Durham are band A for council tax. That significantly reduces what we can raise with the restrictions that we have from government. So with the best will in the world, I've got low band council tax and highest levels of deprivation. 80% of people in our care homes in the county are paid for by the council. You swap that round with the likes of Surrey, 80% of Surrey residents are self-funded. So you, you have that huge inequality throughout the country, but we're trying to fix it with the same method and it won't work. So we need to we really need to have that open and honest discussion about what's acceptable and what will work in different areas whilst appreciating the 
everyone's different at the same time. Tony, can I ask the question to you? Do you think the government is a trustworthy partner? I think, you know, I, I generally always take the view that most people in all political parties at national and local level are people who are trying to do their best. There are very few people of whom that's not true in any party. However, you know, events conspire. So it's not that they're not trustworthy. But I don't think people are deliberate in Whitehall and set ministers and so on are deliberately um, setting out not to be trustworthy. It's just in some ways they can't even deliver on policies they want themselves to deliver. That's what I find so interesting. You know, I believe that Michael Gove, and Mike sort of indirectly, I thought he was going to talk about George Osborne, who clearly had a very strong sense of what he was trying to do when he was Chancellor. I know it's true, he had a, a constituency in the North West. He was working with uh, the leaders of Manchester City Council and built up a good relationship with them. And so I think that, you know, I'm always prepared to believe that politicians are trying to do their best and mean what they say. But in a curious way, the government's so tied itself up, um, it can't actually deliver the policy it itself says it wants to, which is a very odd place to be. So I think they are trustworthy. It's just that they sort of impede each other from doing uh, different parts of government, impede themselves from doing things they want to do. So I want to finish by asking you all one, one question. Um, so the white paper is being billed as a really fundamental point in, in, in this government's programme. Is it within council's capability to seize the agenda, seize the initiative at this point in time to actually really, you know, re really grab the extra powers and really bring about that dramatic change of, in the power balance in this country? I'll ask that to you first, Mike. Yeah, I, I think absolutely. I mean, I think there is, there's a real, I mean, there's, there's, there's a pent up demand for change um, and there's some real, you know, in a number of in a number of council areas that, that I've worked with and spoken to, you know, they've been they've been looking for an opportunity to do something different, um, you know, whether that be through unitary or some other means. But actually, there is a real desire to, to sort of step stuff up. Um, and um, and I think there is a motivation. Um, what what as ever they need to focus on is trying to make sure they don't get distracted too much by it um, and delaying doing other things because I think that's one of the things we see quite often in local government is an initiative will come along and people will will wait or, or, or hang on for it. So white papers are a great example. You know, we, we slow down our strategy and we, we slow down delivery because we think something is going to happen. Um, but I think, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we've got a real opportunity here and, um, you know, hopefully they will grasp that. Amanda, is it within your power to seize the initiative? Or do, you, do you think you can really make a, a lasting difference which really changes things for a long time? Yeah, I, I, I totally believe that it is within the power to do it, but we have to have the desire from both sides for it to work. So we have um, the desire to do this. We have plans for how we can do it. We have things in place, but we've got to be given the tools to do it. So with one hand tied behind your back by only getting half the powers or half of the, the devolved things, then it is going to be harder. But I truly believe that the desire is there from local authorities to be in control of their own destiny and the destiny of the people they represent. Um, we've just got to make sure that it's a, a two-way street and that, that the facilities to do that are, are given to them. Tony, can, can councils seize the initiative? 
Yes, actually, I think, oddly, I mean, councils, because in, in councils in the UK, this is, we're talking predominantly about England, but actually this will be true in Wales and Scotland and Northern Ireland, have been, had to put up with so many years of glumly accepting centralised control over everything that, you know, they've got a sort of form of Stockholm syndrome. You know, they can't quite bring themselves to say, look, government, we know better about this area than you do. These are the powers we need. This is what, these are the tools we need to deliver what are broadly common policy objectives. As I say, you know, the Liberal Democrat leader of Durham County Council and the Conservative government and most Labour politicians would all agree at some level on this stuff. So the, the case for individual authorities and for the LGA representing them to make the, the point that, to, to make the strong point that councils or groups of councils need to be able to say to government, this is what we think we need to deliver on your agenda. Give us the resources and the powers and we'll get on with it. At the moment, it's all rather come and bid for this money and that money uh, or have this, you know, give you this sort of deal. And it's, as Mike said, it is very, very hard to work out where best practice lies and so on. So I think, yes, uh, councils should be more, should be braver in some ways uh, to tell government what they locally know is best for their area. Well, thank you, Tony. And thank you to all of my panel this week. Panel's been Amanda Hopgood of Durham, um, Tony Travers of the LSE, and Mike Deering of TPX Impacts. Um, that's been the local authority. We'll be back next month. This podcast was brought to you by LGC and TPX Impact. Local Government Chronicle, or LGC, is the leading title for senior local government officers and the authoritative voice of the sector. To subscribe to LGC for full online and print access, go to lgcplus.com. TPX Impact is a change agency on a mission to build 21st century public sector institutions, which are catalysts for change in the internet and climate era to radically improve outcomes for communities. For more information, go to tpximpact.com. TPX Impact, transformation that matters.